0: Hello, and welcome to the Everything Delivery podcast. This episode is a Digital Pulse for the week ending Friday, the 15th of September. The digital Pulse is our fortnightly newscast, where we highlight some of the more interesting things that have happened in the last few weeks in the tech sector. You can find the latest episodes as usual at everythingdelivery forward And if you happen to be watching this, you should be able to see that in the address bar to the right. This episode is sponsored by Nearform. So, Nearform has over 10 years experience in remote delivery, empowering clients to succeed in a digital world through application, modernization, data, design, DevOps, and product. You can, and you should find out more at nearform.com. I'm Dan Close, and I'm here as usual with my co-host Luke Lanziani. Now, I say as usual, right, but we've been away. We had the summer hiatus for effectively all of August because, you know, holidays and various other exciting things going on. So. Good to see you again.
1: Yeah. Welcome back Dan and welcome back to myself. I've been, has been some interesting summer, uh, going away with the kids. What have you done? Anything special?
0: Uh, So I managed to take one week off and uh, spend time with my kids. But other than that, it's been the usual, you know, sickness.
1: Yeah, that's mental that's, health issues. It's,
0: it's the same. It's the same old thing for me. Where, yeah, yeah no, let's not, joke about, good, let's not
1: joke. about the mental health issues. I'm, but, but, I'm not, but, not joking about the, mental health. I'm uh, very, very serious about that. The 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 kids' party was the same for me, right? It's, it's always the same. You're trying to have a fun week, and one of the kids gets sick, and then you have to again take care of that. Uh, I like
0: touring all sorts of accident and emergency departments throughout the country. It's it's a lot of fun.
1: But while we were off and we were enjoying our sick kids uh, stuff kept happening in the industry, industry, didn't it?
0: I know. Seems to seems like a good place to jump off, right? And the, the, the first thing. So we're going to we talk about very little today. I think just as the the first time back, we can get ourselves back into the groove.
1: Yeah, um, let, let's start just slowly. A,
0: a, a, a couple, a, just a couple of points. Yes. So let's begin. So um, Terraform, I've heard of it. There's something going on with Terraform. Tell me more, please.
1: So, if you're not aware of this, something has happened in August 10, right after we got off. As I say, right, you go off and there you go, something happens. You cannot even take one week off. Uh, so, what has happened? Ashcorp has followed similar steps to other companies in the industries and has done, has done a change uh, on the licensing of their products. Uh, what i mean by that i mean the hashicorp on august went from mozilla public license to a business source license or bsl Mm -hmm. historically all products from hashicorp were open source were released as mozilla public license v2 right that is a very permissive license you can pretty much do everything you want with the source code um even resell the product maybe there is a little bit of, of of nuance there maybe you cannot actually resell the exact product you have to Ad file. You don't remember what the Mozilla Public License says, but they went into the business source license that is more strict about that, right? So if you're actually profiting from their code, then you cannot use it. And again, I'm explaining this like this, but don't trust me, right? I'm not a license expert. Go and read it yourself. (laughs) I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a lawyer. And we go into that in a moment, actually, right? We discuss about the parts of these. So, as you can see in the screen, what happened is that they did the announcement as a blog post, and as usual, they underestimated the impact that this would have, right? Um, Many people started to ask, okay, but what about now, right? What is the impact? Because again, we're not lawyers. We assume that we know the licensing, but we don't understand possibly all the repercussions. They stated that this change and this is, and, and the, in the page that I'm sharing and it's gonna be on the show notes. So if you want to know more, please go ahead and read the show notes. Yeah. Um, they also have they, they had to create a list of FAQ right to answer all the questions that people had after the announcement. Cool, yeah. And one of that is why is Ashikor making the change. And they're going to the yes we really believe on the open source right we believe in the value of opening sharing source code enabling practitioners to solve their problems building communities and creating transparency but at the same time they've seen that certain companies were abusing or at least that's what they, yes. the 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 blog post i think said right uh in the case, in this case, they say they're shifting the license, they can better manage commercial uses of our open source code and continue to invest in our thriving community and practitioner.
0: It's interesting. I how- mean, is, is this a case where someone's, they, you know, they see other people making money with their products. So, you know, company A has a product that uses Terraform is making a decent amount of money and they're looking at it and going, well, you know, Fundamentally, we're powering that thing that you're making money off, but we're making no money off it. So,
1: I, I yeah,
0: we don't like that. I think I, I mean, so. I, don't know.
1: I think so. At the same time, there is a lot of discussion that has been going in the community saying how much those other companies were actually threatening Ashikor, right? Ashikor, at least from the outside, right? We never know. We never know. But from the outside, it seems quite no, no. big, right? And many, many other commenters had the objection, not even the objection, they, they, they expressed their opinion saying probably HashiCorp could have gone differently and tried to add values to their products and make it them better. So they would win no matter what, right? And after all, they still yeah. had the control of the source code. They still owned... The source code, in a matter of who was approving the PRs, who was accepting PRs, yeah, exactly. and also in the past we have seen that they weren't so open to always accept changes. Their own right, right to do so. I'm not, I'm not judging them for that. But the point is that they were still managing and controlling <laughs> what was happening
0: there. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. And then they go into what is the implication for the end user? Uh, what is the implication for the integration partners? And most of the times they say there is not real implication for most of those, right? Is that true? I mean, is, is that true? Meaning that how do you know if that is true? Would you trust uh,
0: HashiCorp <laughs> as much as you trust anyone? Yeah, I mean, look, I don't know to be pretty honest, this is this is not. What I do in my day-to-day, and this this requires people with a different skill set to uh that's it, right? That's all me to sit down, examine, and work out what the what the heck this really means.
1: They say all um, non-production users are permitted, all production users are allowed other than hosting or embedding the software in an offering competitive with Ashicorp commercial product. Hosted or self-managed. So the there is all of that, right? Now let's let's not spend too much time on this because as we say, we want to keep it short. You get the gist yeah. right you get the gist they, they were in a state where maybe they realized that there were competing products that were benefiting from HashiCorp products and maybe stealing some of their business right and they were like yeah, okay we, we need to to make a change here uh, i mean if
0: effectively people woke up in the morning and suddenly they had a new problem they weren't expecting to experience which is now i need to involve my legal team and review whether or not we can continue forwards and that is, exa- are, you know,
1: that is exactly cool where platform. I was going, right? So,
0: I don't, I mean, it's not even
1: just Terraform, right? It is Vault, Is all the HashiCorp Power, oh, yeah. Is all the products that HashiCorp is producing, is releasing, right? Mm. It's console, yeah, yeah.
0: It's et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now, this is stuff that's widely used, right? I mean, it's not, these are big boys. I mean, I would say almost every platform that I've worked on. Has had some element of HashiCorp in the last few years, you know, whether or not, I'm mean, typically Vault, typically Terraform, I'm sure there's other stuff in there too, but you know, they are everywhere.
1: And we know that, right? We know because in our line of business, we actually see many, many platforms there. They are least used mm. Terraform. Terraform is definitely the most widely used, I would say, right? Is it the de facto oh, standard for infrastructure as good? So, what happened after that? Yeah. Uh, what happened is that, su- I mean, suddenly, I would say, uh, a new website was born called OpenTF.org <laughs> uh, and the OpenTF manifesto. So again, I'm sharing the page here, right? If you don't look, if you don't see the, the page OpenTF.org, you can go there and and read by yourself or you can go to the show and find it. And the, the OpenTF manifesto stated that, okay, changing the license is not good. Uh, we, want, we want to try to at least uh, push maybe pushes the red word, right? To, cool. for uh, Ashigorp to change, to switch the Terraform license back to open source, right? They were inviting that. And they asked people to sign this request, yep. right? To see that there was a lot of people asking for that. If you scroll down, you will see that there are a lot of, there you go, there are some numbers, it's in 144 companies. Is it a lot? Yeah, It's quite a good number, I would say, right?
0: Uh, seven. I mean, it's, it's not bad, but that's our previous point with the number of people who are actually using Terraform, you know, and it's ubiquity. Is it? I don't know. But yeah. Okay. That's, I mean, 140 is not a small number. No, no. The
1: Individuals. And again, I wouldn't maybe count the individuals because 700 individuals it can actually be a small number if you think about it. Uh, yeah. 10 projects and one foundations. I'm curious to know who's, who's, who's the foundation, but we can look at that later maybe. Uh, i didn't see the foundation mm. the first time I, I came here so that's interesting but the idea is that we're gonna ask you hashicorp to at least revert uh the uh, the license for terraform if you don't do it and his this is when i say push we're gonna fork it right that yep. was the thing you don't change it we're gonna fork the repo <laughs> right and yep and that's that's something that we have seen happening in pretty much every occurrences of these change or lessons in the past years right and maybe not all of them I mean but... it, it,
0: yeah I mean it's it's happened I guess a few times I mean it's it's happened for all sorts of reasons you know communities get upset about something and you know they they threaten to fork it um, I mean so I think it was was it rust and crab lang there was some sort of fall out there, so they fork the language in some sort of threat uh, in response to, like, honestly, I think something to do with marketing or use of the logo, I think. Um, but this this one seems to have been, like, of all the threats so far, this seems to be the one that has actually got momentum.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. seems yeah. so. Seems so, right? Now, got momentum, we don't know how much that is true. We know that there are certain companies that pledged full time. Uh, employees to contribute for at least five years, right? There are one, yeah. two, three, four, I think more, uh, but at the, at the end, they actually released something, say we have 14 full-time employees that are gonna contribute to OpenTF. Uh, there was a real effort from the start to fork this thing. Um, although, again, is it gonna be enough? That would be my my question, right? It's us it's everything.
0: Yeah, no, it's true. Um, you know, people move on, change jobs, and you know, will, will they continue con- contributing to this kind of thing if they leave? Will the people that come and replace them be be any good? I and mean, one of the things that I think pops out to me from the, the list that you showed is um, so is Terra Grant. So when I when I first started picking up Terraform, the book that I was using to learn Terraform was written by somebody at Terra I can't remember the, the the name of the person. The shame of me. Um, but it does seem like at least there are some some folks who have already invested a vast amount of their time in this space already. It's not like it's a bunch of unknowns coming in and doing this stuff, which may be bodes well for it? I I don't know. I'm just, I'm trying to be cheerful about this.
1: Yeah. And, but the other thing is that they are not planning to keep it from themselves. So they say the, uh, our pullback mm. plan in case Terraform will not change is to fork Terraform into a foundation, right? So if you think nice. about that, that's probably an interesting move. It's like, we're not going to fork it and maintain it ourselves. We're going to fork it mm. and then give it to the, the Linux uh and The Linux Foundation and the Cloud Native com, uh, Compute Foundation, right? Nice. And see if someone else wants to contribute that. Because if you do that, then one one criticism was like, who's going to tell us that you won't change the license yourself, right? When the Open TF yeah. gets uh, famous enough, and the foundation yeah. should protect from that. The foundation should actually yes. put money into the project. Uh, the foundation should give more exposure to the project, and so more people may be able to contribute. So, And, and the foundation is backed by big companies. So the there is also that.
0: Yeah, and it's, it's stability, right? It's all about that stability. Yes. Which is good.
1: In September 5th, and I'm gonna to try to move fast so I can leave some space for you. <laughs> In September 5th, <laughs> the OpenTS fork became available. Um, and so right now, there is um, real fork that is open source in give then you can go and use. So they um, they started publishing, there's the old uh, roadmap, if you want, of what happened, right? Uh, cool. They published the OpenTF manifesto, they waited for Ashikop response, and they didn't respond uh, by August 25th. So they started working on OpenTF fork, they're applying to join the Linux Foundation, so that has already happened, right? They're play, already applied to join the Linux, the Linux Foundation. Uh, there is a community uh, Slack for discussions, and we're gonna leave all these links in the in the blog post. Um, okay. They prepared the OpenTF repo for collaboration, they released the OpenTF repo. We are here now. We can also add the link to the OpenTF. Why are we sharing these again? If you are an organization that is using Terraform, and um, we know how painful, if you are, especially if you're a big organization, right? We know how painful may it be for you to migrate out of Terraform. At the same time, you may want to evaluate if the change of license is going to impact you. So now you are at a point where you have to pick your road, right? Your Thank you. Yes. So either you go and talk to your legal team and discuss, okay, what do we do with Terraform now? Is this license compliant to whatever we we're going to do with it, right? Yep.
0: Is it going for us? Yes.
1: Or you embark into the migration of the OpenTF and you trust the fact that OpenTF is going to become the new Terraform.
0: practice right? standard, yeah.
1: Yes. Yeah. And it's going to be onboarded by the uh, foundation. There are going to be enough supporters. Or maybe you're the enlightened, enlightened one and you want to contribute. So we're also sharing this because if you want to contribute again, we are pro open source, our t shirt say that, right? Mm-hmm. Open source is art. Maybe you want to help OpenTF, <laughs> who knows, right? Um, so yeah, pick your poison, but try to make a decision because it's important that you understand where you're going.
0: Yeah. I, I would, I would love to be a fly on the wall in some of the large organizations for this license change. It's uh... It's a, it's a problem that people aren't going to want to wake up to. So I wonder if this might be a bit of a foot gun, too. We'll, we'll we see. see. If, Give it a few months.
1: I think I think that in general, the, the the licenses discussion is going to happen no matter what, because you're probably using another product from HashiCorp. So the Terraform 1 may be mm-hmm. one discussion, but how about the rest? Although Terraform 1 is Fantastic. the one that you probably modify the most, right? You may write in module yourself yeah. and so on cool and with this i be, stop yeah, my, my monologue, 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 monologue. monologue 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 thank you monologue, monologue. <laughs> and we nice. switch to something on your realm
0: that is my turn yeah so this is i mean unsurprisingly right this is a lens and this is this is now a week old so it's probably already massively out of date it's very hard to tell the alarm stuff so this is the news that Falcon 180B, so this 180 billion parameter model um, trained on 3.5 trillion tokens, uh, has been released um, and it has soared to the top of the Hugging Face uh, Leaderboards. Uh, hugging leaderboard, sorry. Um, and you know, it's it, it's beating Llama 2. Um, it's the largest openly available language model that we have at the moment. Um, It's it's state of the art, it's all very exciting. Really, what kind of business impact is it going to have? Probably not too much at the moment because it is so large, it costs so much money to run. It's an absolute beast. Um, It performs as well as GPT-3 Turbo, I think is what they're currently saying. Maybe GPT-4 is going to soon be in the sights of something open source that could be moderately interesting. Like the previous models, so Falcon HB permits commercial usage. So, if you have the money to go and spin this up and run it yourself, you probably can. Um, so it gives you full control of your infrastructure, controlling the training and kind of maintaining ownership of all of the stuff that goes into and out of this model, which is pretty cool. Um, this stuff just it just keeps moving man. like every week there is something new and exciting, bigger models with more data that perform better through to smaller models built on highly specialized data sets that you can deploy and run uh, on your own infrastructure for cheap or, you know, using something like open LLM. It's all pretty cool. Um, as I say at the moment, not so much value for your business, but something to be very much aware of that uh, these kind of open models are, you know, as people were saying seven months ago, moving at pace and, Kind of reducing the gap between the open source and the kind of massively commercial models, which I think is pretty cool. Oh,
1: it's definitely now, cool.
0: Alongside, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, this, this stuff is not going away, right? <clears throat> yeah, I think, in you know, whether or not it's chatbots, whether or not it's your co-pilots helping you write your code or do your analytics or whatever else, this stuff is going to stay stay around. It, the kind of hand holding they provide. Uh, across all levels of skill is is is, is super useful. Um, but that said, right, there's another kind of interesting thing going on that kind of is, is tangentially related to this. So last year, um, folks like Airbyte and a few others were starting to talk about how Rust was going to pop up and it was going to become a bigger part of kind of the data engineering ecosystem. And I, you know, I'm a bit, bit of a Rust fanboy. Um, Are you? I kind of like that. i just suck at it. Yeah, just, just I mean, just a, just a little bit. I have got my little crap around it somewhere. Um, I, I, mean, I quite like it. It's nice and fast, and I like the fact that once the code compiles, I you know it's, it's going to run. Whereas with Python, often you know I've written my code, I'm, I'm going to run it, and then I have to sit there and you know despite the fact I've written tests, it still breaks. Obviously, it takes me much less time now. Something similar seems to be happening in the, the machine learning and large language model space. So there are a couple of things going on. So Hugging Face we've got something called Candle um uh, coming out which or it's not coming out is is out and so this is the minimalist mm air is a minimalist ml framework written in rust and then there's also something called burn which is another rust project which is around building neural nets and it it's just a whole bunch of these kind of little things kind of stepping away from python a bit and i find it moderately interesting um i don't think that python is going to be replaced by Rust, at least not yet, and we've already seen Scala come in with things like Spark and it, you know, then iSpark kind of caught up. Um, And then you've got the kind of the long-term lingua franca of data, which is SQL, which is, you know, everyone's been saying it's going to be dead anytime soon, but each time it seems to come back even, even stronger. Uh, I just think this is moderately interesting uh, that once again, Rust is starting to pop up in the data in the ML space, right. are those the, just a kind the, of an interesting observation.
1: Are those the two projects that you just men- mentioned? Candle, and-
0: can, candle, yeah, and burn. And I mean, there, there are others, right? Um, and I can I can provide a, a longer list in the um, in the show notes. So, what would be the the value of doing this in
1: Rust other than what you just see that you when you compile you. Fairly sure that runs right. That is not; it's not one hundred percent true. You know that it's not one hundred percent true, but it's definitely there is more checking there than Python.
0: <laughs> but yeah, it's it's more more check than Python, which yeah. doesn't doesn't take much. um I mean, so this is it's smaller and faster, right? So we, as much as I love Python, we know that Python is largely a wrapper for other tools, but that kind of wrapper is is still slow, right? I and mean, things like you know, people are still writing um, ML stuff, whether or not it's it's not right. It's wrong using bare Python as opposed to NumPy and things like this. And then you've got like the blas and the pack, which is why you know we've got nice wrappers around those that allow us to do the kind of ML stuff fast. But fundamentally, Python is not—it's not a super efficient language, right? I mean, it's like bad, bad Rust will still be faster than Python. Okay. It's not that much of a jump to move from one to the other. I—I I think. Um, I mean, there's this is kind of old-ish joke that, you know, Python is the second best language for everything. Um, which, which, which which I, I, I quite like. Um, I'm of the opinion that I mean, it's not going to displace Python, but it can certainly be used to augment it to, you know, certainly speed up certain things in certain areas. Like, if you have some data pipeline and it's say a little bit slow, rather than using Pandas, you might want to go and explore something like polars, which we know is super, super fast.
1: So something that always intrigued me, and then maybe after this we close the episode, is would you mix the two things? Would you be able to mix Python and Rust and optimize these low bits and keep Python for the OK bits to keep the, yeah. the interface easier?
0: Yeah. So, so foreign function interfacing, right? Um, so yes, there's a really good way of doing this with with, with Rust and Python. So there's a thing called uh, PyO 3 I think it's called. Um, I'll put a link in the show notes. And this is a great way to pop between your Python and your Rust or, you know, okay. get stuff done. Again, the way that you do it, you have to apply a little bit more thought into it. So when you're pushing down Compute into into Rust. You you obviously want to pass as much as you can in one sitting, as opposed to continuously bouncing across the boundary. But again, no, but once you've got that one piece of code, it's it's a, it's a great way to go. So one thing, easier always, than using C. One
1: thing that I always liked of Python is how easy it is to experiment, right? To 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 throw yes. things out, test it, and, and iterate, right? And that, as part of yep. the iteration, that's when you actually can, uh, I mean, put a little bit of Rust in there, and it's okay. I'm at reading. Yep. This thing is almost working, it's almost creating what I want. Now I fix it, I make it stable, and then I make it fast. Right. Yep, so that like, sounds like my... a verlang. yeah. That's that's where so it's this... going,
0: yeah. So I think it's a, a joke, Joe, 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 Joe Armstrong quote around making things pretty and by like making them pretty, they often become fast. But so a lot of the stuff that we do in Python is done in notebooks. Um, there are Rust notebooks now as, as well. Uh, again, we can link that in the show notes. So you can do the similar sort of experimentation. And going to your point, it is not as fast as doing it in Python, right? You don't have to fight with types 90% of the time. Um, you don't have a borrow check that you've got to, to fight with. But as you say, once you if you have that pattern down in Python, you can then translate it when you need to into Rust and make it fast. Obviously, as you become more exposed to things like Rust, it becomes easier to work in. So you're no longer fighting the borrow checker or, you know, having all these problems. It's much like any language and so you can make that gradual shift over and you might find that um, you no longer actually rave the Python stuff. You go straight to Rust. I, I, th- I, don't I know. think
1: the most I'm challenging clear. thing is the learning curve for Rust, right? I've, I've, I've tried Rust, I've used it a little bit, but there is a, little, a lot of syntax, extra syntax that you have to remember, that you have to understand, that you have to absorb. I'm not saying that you cannot do it, right? There are other languages like that. I've mm-hmm. done Ra- I've done Erlang, I've done OCaml, right? They, they are also using completely different syntax from the rest of what we know. Even, yeah. even Ruby adds new symbols that are not the one that we're used to, right? But again, with, yeah. with Rust, there is a lot of that. So when you are in an organization that you have data scientists that are maybe writing their Python now, ask them to migrate to Rust may be a little bit of a challenge, right? I that's when we have to be good at explaining the trade-offs, why you're doing that, right? What are the advantages, and then slowly and gradually, maybe migrating people into the new mindset.
0: It's, no, it's a it's a really good point. But I so I think the thing, the way that I kind of respond to that. Is that typically with the data scientists, they write a piece of code which is, is largely going to be, sorry, data scientists, if you're listening, is going to be written by someone else anyway, because um, again, I'm sorry, data scientists, but the, often the code that you write isn't super wonderful, um, you know. So this is why we this is why we have an entire field of you know kind of ML engineers who go about taking these wonderful models, um, these very smart people create, and then optimizing them to run okay. in some other way, shape, or form. Um, so that that kind of happens already. As I say, I don't I don't think the world is going to you know, fundamentally change overnight. I just think it's interesting that this is once again popping up a second time in not so many months. Okay, interesting rather than business value. So I
1: leave that. And with that, again, we're going to repeat. You're going to find all the links in the show notes. We're going to close the episode here. Uh, thank you for listening yeah. if you're still here with us. And welcome back from holidays if you had any. Uh, this is the Digital Pools <laughs> episode ending, uh, episode airing uh, the 15th of September. Um, I'm Luca. I'm here with Dan. And you're going to find us in the usual uh, links that we share every single time. Everything.delivery is our website. Uh, there's going to be a Digital mm-hmm. Pools in spotify and the other streaming platform and on youtube to, uh, at youtube.com slash at everything delivery thanks a lot for yes, listening cool. and we'll see you next week see you next time bye see you everyone take care bye